Good morning. It is good to be in God's house this morning and uh, opening up God's Word and, and uh, spending time together and fellowshipping with one another as we continue our series on gifts. We've got about, uh, I think over 100 of you now have taken the gifts assessment. Uh, and uh, that's pretty exciting. If you haven't done the gifts assessment, go to the website and take it. We've got paper ones out there in the lobby. Um, I'm sure that uh, Devin will be talking a little bit more about it at the end of the service today. Uh, but we're looking forward to connecting people uh, with their gifts and, and helping to see where they fit in the larger kingdom of God. A year ago, uh, I was at the doctor. It was sort of my annual physical. And he, goes, he says, you know, are you dealing with anything? Anything I need to be aware of? And I go, well, I have been having incredibly uh, challenging back pain right, right back here. And uh, it's, he, I go, it is, you know, I wake up in the morning feeling pretty good, but by the end of the day, it is just painful. And he goes, well, I want you to stand up in front of me. And he goes, I want you to just put your arms out like this while I look, look at your back and examine your back. And he said, he says, okay, I see what the problem is, and we're going to need to remove something. And I'm like, you're you know, that's, you don't want to hear that, right? That's not good news. And then he like reaches in my pocket and pulls out my wallet. And he goes, he goes, your wallet is too thick and you're sitting on it all the time. And I'm like, uh, first off, let me talk about my wallet being thick for a second because some of you are thinking pastor's making too much money. Uh, my wallet is made up of about 80% expired gift cards that I forget to throw away. So there's, you know, you don't need to worry about that. But, you know, I, I, uh, I, took, uh, I took the wallet out and kind of uh, went through and culled it and took some of the things out. And sure enough, uh, it uh, felt better. In fact, I take it out for long periods of time now if I'm working in the office. Uh, but it got me thinking about uh, my body. And uh, the other thing the doctor said, he looks at me and he goes, he goes, he goes, you are probably having some significant back pain. And he goes, but the problem's not your back. He goes, it's your front. And I'm like, he goes, you're too fat. And I'm like, I have a very like doctor who apparently is really sarcastic and likes messing with me. Uh, but so I've been working on losing some weight, you know. And you know, we're called to take care of our bodies, right? But our bodies, we also need to see them in terms of them being a spiritual thing. In Jesus' time, there were a group of philosophers and teachers who were known as the, as the Gnostics. I've mentioned this, I think, before, but the Gnostics uh, thought they were uh, uh, in, in touch with sort of this higher plane of knowing. And they also believed that physical matter was evil or lesser than the, the spiritual. And, and so anything having to do with the body, they saw as a lesser thing or an evil thing. Uh, this is a heresy, by the way. But I wonder if sometimes in our modern world, we aren't guilty from time to time of being sort of modern day Gnostics. And, and what I mean by that is, is in many ways, uh, a lot of times what churches become is sort of study centers where we come to learn about God and kind of be exposed to the Word of God and, and take classes or join Bible studies. And, and don't get me wrong, all of those things are good. I have no problem with any of those things unless what we learn and hear 
never translates to here. If our thoughts don't change our actions, we learn so that we may be like Jesus and then do things like Jesus would do. We don't talk about our bodies much in the church, and usually, interestingly enough, when we do talk about our bodies in the church, you know what we talk about as it relates to them? What not to do with your body, right? Uh, we talk about, you know, I remember when I was, I went to a Christian school in the 80s, and I, were to, I was told that you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, or go with girls who do. That was sort of what we were told in 1982, and and, and, you know, I remember we went to these big youth conferences. Some of you went to the Institutes of Basic Youth, Con uh, Bill Gothard, some of you might remember that. And it was, a lot of it was about what you don't do with your body. And there are absolutely certain things we should not do with our body. And there are sinful things that we should not do with our body. But if we only focus on what we don't do with our body or Christianity becomes this place where we're trying to... Uh, you know, engage in nonstop sin prevention, we're missing the point of the gospel a little bit. And the reality is, we are set free, we are loosed to do good things with our body. What we learn up here needs to be translated as we think of our bodies as these instruments in the hands of God to do grand things for the kingdom of God. And so we need to think of ourselves in these holistic terms. One of my spiritual heroes, I've talked about him before. Um, I, I talked to uh, uh, Pastor Devin and I talk about it regularly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer one time said that being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. I like that. I really like that idea, that concept, that that's what we're set loose to be. And could it be that the primary way that we do these things in our individual lives is to actively engage in these spiritual gifts? In other words, you know, our, the way that God has gifted us is the tool he has given us to do his will with our bodies. Most of the gifts have this physical component involved with them. And could it be that if we are not exercising our gifts, we're not fully living into the will of God? It's kind of a heavy one. Uh, but I'm the interim pastor, and I'm kind of put here to challenge y'all. And the reality is, is we need to be using our bodies to serve the kingdom of God. The body you've been given is a great instrument. You may be surprised, especially if you start to step into your gifts, uh, what God can do what God can do. Today we're in my, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's Romans chapter 12. And in fact, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, when people go, what is your life verse? Some folks have life verses. When people like press me on, what's your life verse, Pastor Mike? It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's my favorite uh, verse probably in all of Scripture. And out of respect for God's morning, let's stand as one of our, our teens, Kate Mordick, comes, and she's going to bring the passage to us this morning.
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given in me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If dear grief, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, but be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual f fever serving the Lord. Will you thank Kate for me? And, and while Kate, you, you may notice, I, and I'm, I'll mention this again a couple times because I think it, it bears repeating. Uh, we have a problem in the Church of Jesus Christ, and that's the reality that when most of our teenagers graduate from high school, they graduate from the church. And we only see a small percentage of them back at the church. And what we know is that when we teach kids to utilize their gifts and engage with those gifts in the church, and we give them a place in the church to use their gifts, we know that that tends to be one of the greatest predictors of, of young people staying in the, in the church. And I know Pastor Devin, our, our teens are doing a gift assessment. And, and let me just give you an, an observation as an outsider in this church, our teens are one of the probably highest percentage groups in terms of utilizing and using their gifts. Uh, we use our teens a lot for service in the church, and they should be commended for it. And I want to give our kids a place to serve and read scripture and uh, go on mission trips and, and, and to engage their bodies in service to the kingdom of God. God's love for us demands a response. God's love for us demands a response, one that involves our whole being. Again, my life verse. Verse one, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What we do with our bodies is vitally important. There is a physical nature to our faith. We're not Gnostics. Question for us this morning. Are you offering your whole being, your body, your physicality to God in service to his kingdom? Uh, we uh, do uh, musical worship each and every week. Uh, is Matt in here? Matt, thank you this morning. Will you guys thank Matt for me? And, and uh, Matt led worship tonight because our whole worship team is going to be up here tonight. Most of our worship team is going to be up here tonight. Starting, is it 5 o'clock, Elmer? We're starting to serve... Soup at five. Soup at five. So soup, just a fellowship time 
out here in the lobby and, and, and sharing soup at five o'clock, and then we're gonna come in here and we are gonna blow the roof off of this place singing praises to God. And so if you wanna put this sermon into practice today, come tonight. That makes sense? This is opportunity. One of the things I like about worshiping God in song is it requires us to use both our mind and our body. We have to use both of, both of those things, and so it's a great thing. We sing each week, and, and uh, singing involves the engagement of our whole being, if we're doing it right. Some of you, by the way, aren't doing it right. Uh, I'll just say it, because I, I get to look out a lot of times and see people, and like, we'll be singing a song about joy, and there'll be some guy at the end going, joy, you know. They get this kind of dour look on their face. So, you know, engage the whole being. I'll be your worship coach today. Uh, engage your whole being as, as we worship God. We need to see ourselves as instruments in the hands of God. Now, a lot of you, I grew up in the church, and when they ask you what your priorities are in life, what are your priorities? The uh, church response, when somebody asks you what your, what your priorities are, is to say, well, God is first, my family is second, and church is third. Anybody ever heard that? Sometimes we flip a couple of things, but God is first, family second, church is third. I hate that. Okay, I'm not an apostate, but I do, I hate that model, uh, that hierarchical model, because I don't, what it allows us to do is create this inventory, this list top to bottom. And down here we get to, we apparently get to things that aren't that important, our homies. So we really don't need to, you know, we don't need to see them in reflection of God. I like this model better, but I think we have a slide here. I like this wagon wheel approach. And I've shown this to you before, or early on when I got here. We need to see God as the center. The God, you know, be thou our center. And we see then everything else in our life. And this isn't a comprehensive list, but uh, family, money, chores, entertainments, relationships. We see all of these things as being sacred things connected to God. All of them. There's no separation. All of them are a part of who we are and how, where God has placed us. It allows us to engage our whole being, therefore, in service to him. Through our giftedness, these things can become very sacred. A lot of you were here last week. I was, I was thinking this morning as I, I drove in, Josh is working up in the, Josh Prigmore is working up in the tech booth this morning. Uh, but I just loved his story last week. I love this story. Man who left ministry and then is working in the private sector and is having these aha moments where he sees he is still doing ministry as he exercises his gifts in service to the kingdom. Because, and this is important, we're being invited to be part of a revolution. And church, I'm concerned the church is sleeping through the revolution. I'm concerned we're sleeping through the revolution. We're being invited to be a part of the greatest movement the world has ever known. But it's going to take all of us. By the way, when we start to engage in this, we can know God's plan. Several years ago, I was watching a program on cable TV where I was introduced to this guy uh, right here. I think we got a picture of him. Uh, this guy's name is Kevin Bow. Do we have that picture, Kevin Bow? There he is. There's Kevin. That's Kevin Bow. Kevin is the president of the Republic of Melosia. 
a sovereign nation. In 2016, Bao declared the one and one quarter acres around his Nevada double wide as a nation. So that's, uh, that's Kev right there. The uh, whole thing's a good-natured uh, joke. Their currency is pegged to the cost of Pillsbury dough. And they're in a long-standing war with East Germany, a country that no longer exists. Um, but it's, it's all kind of a ruse. He's created this country. And uh, apparently, uh, Bao has even received uh, Christmas cards from American presidents during, since 2016. I think that's kind of funny. But the reality is we are called to be a part of nation building. We are called to be a part of kingdom building. We're called to be, you know, we pray the Lord's Prayer often. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're called to be a kingdom come people. That we are right now, are we, are we knowing the fullness of the kingdom of God? No, we won't know that till we get to heaven. But we're not also called to sit here and sit on our hands and wait. We're called to be showing people what the kingdom of God looks like right now. By the way, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your primary citizenship is the kingdom of God. Your secondary citizenship is the United States of America. And the kingdom of God dictates how you live in the United States of America. It is your primary driving, motivating force. God has given you gifts to help build the kingdom. To, we're not going to form a Melosia. We're forming the kingdom of God. And we're pointing people to what that looks like. Look what it says here. By the way, when we start here, I'm going to tell you something right now. This is, this is like... A lot of people tell me, and this is a reasonable thing to say. Many folks say this, I just don't know what God's will is. I'm not sure what God's will is for me. Well, let me tell you how to figure out God's will, right? I mean, that's worth the price of admission this morning. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect World, We're creating a new kingdom that looks wildly different from the, the kingdom of earth right now, which is, which is really quite broken. We're called to live into this new kingdom. Don't conform. Be transformed. By the way, I believe one of the ways we start to know the will of God, you know, if you do these things, if you're not conformed, if you're transformed, you start to know and test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think one of the ways we do this then is in our giftedness. That as we step into our giftedness, which is a, probably the most profound thing we can do to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, is to step into our giftedness. Again, it's not what we don't do, it's what we do that's important. We step into that and we're not conformed. We need to look different from the rest of the world. Um, we don't employ the world's tactics. The world is mean. The world is cruel. Church is not supposed to be. We're supposed to be humble and loving and sacrificial. God has made each of us with a unique purpose, with unique gifts. We're called to be a contrast, and we become a contrast to the rest of the world when we live into our giftedness. Ephesians 5, 
Paul's words again. He says, For you were once in darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. By the way, the way we expose darkness in the world is not by necessarily yelling at darkness, but rather by creating light, creating a contrast to darkness. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything is exposed by, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We're establishing a new kingdom. Church, we're on the front lines of establishing this new kingdom. And Paul attaches this promise to it. Live differently, work into the kingdom through your gifts, and you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Offer your bodies, give your whole selves over and worship. Choose God's kingdom. Don't buy into this world. Discover the will of God. So, verses 1 and 2. Off your bodies as living sacrifices. That's worship. Worship, when we, just, when we were singing and Matt was leading, we were worshiping. But guess what? When you step out of this building, get back that wagon wheel, and you go out to your kids' team, your games, you can be worshiping there. When you're in your workplace, you can be worshiping. Worship becomes this lifestyle of sacrifice to God. One of the things about this passage that I found interesting, if you hear sermons on Romans chapter 12, a lot of people will preach on Romans 12, 1 and 2 and stop. And then they'll do a next sermon, which is on Romans 3 through 8. Romans 1 and 2 is what we just went over, but Romans 3 through 8 then is this inventory of our giftedness what our gifts are. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's saying, offer your bodies, this is your act of worship, don't conform, and here's how you do it. Look at verses three through eight. This is how you do it. Kind of this overarching principle, and then three through eight is how you do it. So let's look at three through eight. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Aaron did a great job uh, two weeks ago uh, in talking about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, So I'm not going to belabor what she said, but one thing I want us to to remind us of is this one body, many parts. You know, uh, Aaron talked about gift envy uh, and other things. No, we're all unique. But what I wanted to point out as it relates to that is this. When we talk about one body, many parts, each person having a role to play, everybody here has a role to play. Some of you are here going, I don't know much about Jesus yet, but I am choosing to follow Jesus. You got a role to play. Got a role to play right now. Start doing it right now. But I want you to think about this. God makes us all different, right? He gives us unique personalities. He gives us unique 
skill sets. Some of us are loud. Some of us are quiet. Some are always on the go, movers and shakers. Some are reserved and like to work behind the scenes. Some act quickly. Some act slowly. Some work with very visible gifts. Some work with less visible, uh, visible gifts. Many of these folks, all the way around, us, have strong opinions. So what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right? And yet, with all of us, with our different gifts, our different skill sets, we've all walked into this room today, and God has brought us together. And I think one of the central points here, something that Paul points out, I mean, you know, one of the things that happens in the church is we've got different ministries, and they're all battling for space and resources. And that causes tension. It need not because of what Paul says here. Each member belongs to the other. And not in some feel-good way. But as a necessity. To perfect the church. We belong to each other. You belong to me the way that a mouth is dependent on a hand. The, the work requires both. And this requires humility and a constant, focused working together. You belong to each other. Okay, look to your left. Now look to your right. That person that you just looked at, you belong to them and they belong to you. Now, I don't want you to abuse that. I don't want you to make them come over and paint your house on the weekend or something like that. I heard you belong to me. Um, yeah, I need an oil change. Um, no, we belong to each other so that we can elevate the kingdom of God. And when you looked at your neighbor, they have gifts that you don't have. They have skill sets that you don't have, but you have gifts they don't have, and you have skill sets that, the, uh, that they don't have. And so... God, in this sort of miraculous way, sort of knits us together. In Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews uh, has a lot to, uh, of, of uh, theology relating to the church. We hear, we hear this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's how I think it's supposed to work. I could be wrong on this, but this is how I think it's supposed to work. I think we gather together once a week, and I think we love one another, and we encourage one another, we pray for one another, and then we set one another free for six days to go out and be God's kingdom people until we come back the next week and we love each other and we encourage one another. A couple words stood out here. Spur one another on. Spur one another on. When you come here, you know, I, I think church, when you come here each week, you should be looking to encourage one person every week when you come here. Hey, I saw you doing this. I want to commend you for that. You know, you taught my child today and they really like you. Hey, I know you're preparing food for the poor. I really appreciate that. How can I get involved? Let's come to this place to encourage one another, to spur one another on. We belong to each other. We are less without each other. 
The gifts that God has given us have con- are, are designed to complement weather and, and uh, complement each other and work together to grow the kingdom and to show the world a better way. By the way, every gift we've said this. Aaron said this. I've said it. Every gift is important, and a church is only. Uh, you know, we have the old saying is what a rope is only as or a chain is only as strong as its weakest. A church is only as strong as all of its members using their gifts. The strongest churches employ the largest number of people using their gifts. Some of you remember uh, when you're beginning the process of of, uh, developing an interim pastor and beginning the search for a new pastor, we did a church-wide assessment. And our our low, our baseline for this church was uh, helping people to identify and engage in their gifts. That was our low score. By the way, it's interesting. I talked to a few people before we got the assessment results back, both lay people and some staff people, and I said, hey, what's our low score going to be, do you think? Every single person told me that. So it's pretty interesting that people sort of intuitively knew that. This church will be strong. In fact, this church will be incredibly strong when each one of us learns and activates and uses our gifts. Because you see, love is an action. Love is an action. Discover your gift and then do it. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You don't know what effect your gift will have. You you have no idea what your gift or the impact that your gift will have. Something that you think is tiny may be profound. Uh, Last week I was sick. Um, I was tired. Uh, You know, helping to run a church has all sorts of challenges and pitfalls. And I'll be honest, things are going pretty well, but I was tired, worn out, and I think because I was tired and worn out, I was a little discouraged. And uh, somebody was down at uh, uh, Jimmy's at the Cove. Uh, If you haven't been to Jimmy's, go there. Jimmy Jimmy does a lot for our church, and and, uh, he's a good good, good man. Uh, But somebody was down there, and the barista said, hey, this card's for your pastor. And so this person brought the card back to me. And um, I had been sick, and I was tired, and I was grumpy. And I opened this card up, and it was from uh, Jenny Bowska. Some of you know Jenny. And it was this sort of Ephesians letter to me of loving on me, thanking me, encouraging me and spurring me on. Now, I don't know what worked. Now, Jenny's one of those people who, to me, clearly has the gift of encouragement and serving. And, and I don't know. I mean, she was probably sitting in her office or sitting somewhere one day, and she thought, you know, I don't know why, but I'm going to write Pastor Mike a note. And that note came to me right when I needed it. Right when I needed it. To me, that's a child of God listening to God, acting on what God is telling them to do, using their gifts at the right time, and it having a profound impact. It's a pretty cool thing. And some of you think, 
some of you are, are sitting here thinking, oh, what, you know, get, you've taken the gifts assessment, you're like going, I can't teach Sunday school. We're not asking you to teach Sunday school. We might ask some of you to teach Sunday school with the gift of teaching or the gift of serving, exhortation. We might challenge you in that way. But some of these gifts that people consider to be lesser gifts are profound. They're meaningful. Just a, just a word. Think about how you can serve the larger kingdom of God. By the way, there's another inventory here of gifts that's given, like the one in 1 Corinthians 12, a little bit like the one in Ephesians 4. Here in Romans 12, we see some. Some were covered in our assessment, some not. Some of these may be a gift you have, prophecy, serving. Remember, we talked about prophecy as being forth-telling, not foretelling. In other words, you're not a fortune teller, but what you're doing is pointing out you know, the possible future based on our actions right now. These are sort of wise people. Serving. I'm guessing we had a huge number of people who had the service gift. I was joking with uh, Devin this week uh, about the serving gift. I go, I go, boy, if you got the serving gift, you're like immediately on the hook, right? It's like, oh, because everybody knows what serving is, right? But if you like have the gift of exhortation, you're like, well, I guess I need to figure out what that is. But serving, those of us with the gift of service, we need to move right away, right? Encouragement. It's a gift. That is a gift. Giving. We need faithful givers. Uh, our attendance has grown significantly. I'll just say this. Our attendance has grown significantly over the last six, month, six months. Our giving hasn't grown with it. It's been kind of, kind of flat. Uh, so, you know, giving is an area we might want to be challenged in. Leadership. We need more leaders. He then says this in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And then language like Ephesians. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep up your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Look at the words Paul uses as he describes this new kingdom. We're to, have, we're to be devoted. We're to be devoted to one another. Look, we're all broken people, right? We all have some messiness in our life. This should be a safe place we come every week to encourage one another with devotion. Now, I've been married for 31 years, and I mess up a lot. She's here today. You can ask her stories. But um, I, I make mistakes all the time. Uh, but I know Anita is devoted to me and that I'm devoted to her. And in that kind of environment, there's just a whole bunch of safety. This needs to be that kind of environment. Honor one another. This is a place where we're looking to just bless each other and lift each other up and raise each other up. And then act with zeal and fervor. We really don't use the word, those words a whole lot anymore. The actual, in this passage, the actual Greek for fervor uh, means to boil or be hot. Right? Now, I'm not hot. Uh, that was a joke. I was hoping I'd get more, more of a laugh there. Um, but uh, we're called to have this fire burning in us. And we express that through the use of our bodies. So I've talked a little bit about my call to ministry, but, but you know, in, in 27, 28 years ago, I was called into ministry. And uh, 
I had multiple people tell me, in fact, uh, I had several job offers, which was strange for somebody who had no ministry experience and no ministerial training. I had a couple job offers out there. Um, One of them was from my father-in-law. And all of them, and I I wound up going to work for my father-in-law, and this this talks a little bit to the level of my faith. I wound up going to work for my father-in-law of the three possibilities I had. Uh, because I thought, well, I could be terrible. And because I didn't know if I could do ministry or not. I thought I could be terrible, but he probably won't fire me because he wants his daughter to be taken care of. You know, so that's that was the level of faith I had at the time. But the interesting thing was when I decided that I, I, God was leading to ministry, you know, I have a communications background and a degree in communications. And I thought, well, I'll probably work for a parachurch organization doing communications. Um, but all uh, three uh, job offers I had were to do youth ministry. And I'd never done youth ministry. And so, um, again, I'm, remember, and I think one of the reasons I, I share this is because I'm like all of you sitting in this pew today at that point in my life. Haven't done ministry professionally, have maybe volunteered in the church a little bit from time to time, and have no academic training in ministry. I do remember that we had about a month before we were going, leaving one job and moving to Tillamook, Oregon to be youth pastor. So I just went out and bought every book on youth ministry I could find, which is just an absolutely horrible way to learn about youth ministry, I learned. Uh, but the first time, I, I would, I have, there have, I've done lots of things over the years that would make one person, make you nervous. We've all stepped into sort of risky situations. I have never been more nervous than in 1997, it was 97, it was about 97, when I stepped in front of a group of junior hires and senior hires in Tillamook, Oregon. Never been more terrified in my life. I believe God was leading me in this direction. I had gone out and met with, I had multiple friends who were in pastoral ministry, and I said, hey, I think this is what I'm being called to do, and I seem to be getting confirmation, and they go, oh yeah, you need to be a youth pastor. But I didn't know that. And I stepped in front of that class, and I taught a class that day. I remember I was so stupid. I, uh, I showed up to my first youth group wearing a suit. <laughs> You want to talk about destroying your credibility like right away? Um, But I showed up in a suit uh, and I shared and talked. And it went well. And we developed very quickly a real big youth group there. And here's the thing. I I was so nauseated. I didn't sleep the night before. I didn't sleep nights before. I was nauseated. I don't know if any of you have ever been that worked up about something. And I just got up and did it. Because I thought that's what God wanted me to do, and I thought my gifts aligned with it. And you know what? It is the, I'll say this still, it's the only job I have ever missed. I mean, I like you all, but I love working with teens. I just, there have been times I've thought about it. Can my age, could I go back and work with teens? I think I could. But I loved it. But it required me to take this step that was so terrifying, so frightening for me. Some of you have done the assessment. Some of you have not. I'd encourage you maybe to think about that. 
But here's the thing. When you think you know how God has gifted you and you're sort of learning and working through that, step into it. Because only when you step into it do you experience the fullness of it. Only then do you experience the, the blessing of it. Is it, is it. is it always easy? Nope. Is it sometimes hard? Yep. Is it sometimes very hard? Definitely. Are you going to be put in challenging positions using your gifts for the kingdom of God? 100% guarantee you will be. It's, it's, you're being called to hard work. But it is the most important work you will do. Men, most of us attach our value to our vocation. And your vocation is important. And you can use your giftedness in your vocation. But remember this. The work you do for the kingdom of God is going to far outlast any work that you do for IBM or for Safeway or on the, on the farm. Find out how God has gifted you. And then look into that.